This is Ali Amagasu welcoming you back to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Hey, today we've got a terrific guest joining us, someone we've been trying to schedule for a while, and I appreciate his patience. But he had such an interesting concept that we really wanted to get him on and find out what the heck this all meant. I'm not going to tell you what the concept is yet. First, I am going to introduce our guest. His name is Praveen Sashadri, and he's the CEO and co-founder of AppSheet. Welcome, Praveen. Thanks, Ali. Glad to be here. Pete Johnson is with us as always as well. Welcome, Pete. Hey, Ali. Hey, thank you. Um, I see that there's a, a Chihuahua situation happening over there. How are they doing today? There, There is. It's, you know, because it's not winter and there's not three feet of snow outside here in middle of nowhere, Michigan. They, they hear everything that's outside. And there's a house that has some construction going on in my neighborhood. And they think that means we're under attack. So, you know how that works. <laughs> Good boys and girls protecting the home. Maybe I need to invest in a chihuahua or two. The cats, there's no cat defense system, I can tell you that. I have cats, Praveen. Oh yeah, the yeah. cat doesn't care at all. He's he, he could not possibly care if robbers came and took everything. Right, right. <laughs> they're, not a, they're, not a, they're not a wise security investment. So let's get started on this. Praveen, what, what uh, intrigued us about you and what you're doing, frankly for me anyway, is the two words no code. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk. There's all kinds of of references into way we can ways we can make coding easier and, and abstract difficulties that are involved in that process. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean when you are talking about no code? Can you yeah. can you explain that for us? Yeah. Um, AppSheet tries to enable a business user, a person who's not a programmer, but somebody who works at a company, uh, to translate their ideas into working applications or automations without writing a single line of procedural code. That's really important because most software today is written in the sort of imperative or procedural style. In other words, you write sequential lines of code. They run typically sequentially in in C-sharp, Java, JavaScript, a number of different languages. But they require uh, a person to go through years of learning and training in order to be software engineers. And then it requires uh, weeks, months, often years of effort to create something meaningful. That's expensive, time consuming, and often these applications at the end of the day aren't really what the person wanted at the start because somebody had an idea of something that they wanted to have happen, had to translate it into a spec, had to have a team of engineers, really expensive a group of people build this thing. And perhaps something comes out of the end of it that you know, you've got to be lucky that it's actually what you wanted. Typically you've got to iterate on that. That process costs you know, there's different estimates. You're lucky if it, if you spend only $100,000 to build an application in a company. Often it's yeah. much more than that. So uh, what we're trying to looking at is enabling, and you know, how many engineers, software engineers exist in the world? You know, different estimates are 15 to 20 million. Of which, and we all know this, there's maybe about a million who are good, right? So, yeah. you know, there's this incredible bottleneck. Computing sort of ex- exploding, all the data is moving to the cloud, everybody's got a mobile device, uh, yet, there's just about a million people who can create stuff. And this is an incredible bottleneck. And so maybe those people work at the largest companies. And so those companies are, you know, software is eating the world, but it's really the folks who can hire developers who are eating the world. Everybody else is falling behind. So that's the problem we are actually trying to change and, uh, you know, and transform as we're saying, well, there's a billion plus people who are smart people working in various lines of business. Maybe they're in construction and transportation and manufacturing and factory floor they understand what can be done to make their processes more efficient. The problem is the ideas in their head 
and they cannot translate it into software. That's what we're trying to change. We say, hey, here's a platform that can change that. You can translate, you can translate your ideas more directly into the software without you having to express them in code. I know it sounds, that's why it sounds interesting, but truly it is a true no-code platform. You do not write procedural programmatic code to express your ideas and make them run as applications. That sounds amazing. And, and I understand what you're saying. Very good point. There's a world of ideas. I'm thinking of it like a funnel. There's a huge world of fabulous ideas that need a software programmer in order to be brought to life. So right. they all have to go through the very skinny part of the funnel to get contact with any programmer or to get access to any programmer. And then the funnel gets significantly skinnier when you get down to good programmers. And then code comes out the other end. We're all beholden to that right now. We are all beholden to it yet. Our expectations have been changed. It turns out any one of us can imagine probably three, four, five applications that would make our work lives better, right? Yes. Uh, there's things we're still doing on pen and paper. We're like, that's crazy that we're doing this on pen and paper. But you know what? Uh, we either have to buy some off-the-shelf system and, and change our habits to work the way that system wants, <laughs> or uh, we have to continue doing it on pen and paper, or we have to find a way to spend $200,000 to hire somebody to do it. And right. these are unreasonable options in this modern world. So that's why you're seeing in the last few years, there's this rise of platforms that are trying to lower the friction to have applications be built. There's two styles to these platforms. One style are called low code platforms and they're really targeted still at developers, but they make it easier for developers to do their job. They remove a lot of the friction and say, you have to write less code to do it. Maybe you don't need as much skill to do it. And you, as long as you fit within certain patterns, you can get that code built faster. You know, they'll say, hey, it's five times faster. It's seven times faster. You can get your product built in, project built in two months instead of a year and so on. So those are called low code platforms, still targeting developers, just making it cheaper, faster. What we're doing is somewhat, you know, this, uh, we're a no code platform. We're very consciously targeting a business user, the kind of person who could use Excel or PowerPoint or Word. There's a billion plus such people, all smart people. Turns out a lot, hundreds of millions of people use Excel in so many different ways or Google Sheets or whatever, a spreadsheet. That was appropriate for a world which was a desktop where a spreadsheet was a really useful way to collaborate and automate things. We're taking those core, some core concepts that made sense, um, that there was proof that people could actually wrap their heads around and translating that into end-to-end -end applications suitable for a modern cloud and mobile enabled word. That's pretty wild. Pete, do you have questions about how this all works? I know I do. <laughs> so, so many. Yeah. Work, huh? <laughs> um, so, it, so in prep for this, Praveen, so I, I went to appsheet.com and in some ways it's unfortunate that this is a podcast because so much of what you've done here is so visual. And, and if you go to like the sample apps, and you go and I'm, I'm literally looking at an office furniture management app. That's one of your sample applications. And if you click on look under the hood, it takes you to uh, a screen that then shows you this very visual representation of the different data sources you might have, whether they be maps or a spreadsheet of, of office furniture. And then you sort of build this view. So to, to steal from from coder parlance, it's it's very much like a model view controller kind of um, kind of structure to this. So so take me through what what does this process look like for someone to build an application with your platform, and how does it differ from 
say, you know, the traditional iPhone app application submission process where you've got to go learn some objective C, you've got to package your stuff in a certain way, you've got to go through, you know, the Apple board before your application is able to appear on the iTunes yeah. store and those kinds of things. So how is this, how is this process different? Yeah, you missed one step there, which is along the way, tear your hair out as well. So, well, uh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, There's yeah. that part of it. I have so little hair to tear out to begin with. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm headed that too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so far I haven't said anything about how it works. So let me sort of describe for a technical person the core concept. There are two or three core observations. The first is that most applications, most business applications are reflections of data and schema. You talked about an office furniture management app. Underneath it, there's probably rooms in buildings and there's furniture in rooms, right? And traditionally, uh, if there was any business that had to actually keep track of this data, they probably have somewhere a table or a spreadsheet that represents their buildings and somewhere a set of rooms, maybe another spreadsheet or in a database and something else that has all their furniture as assets that are registered in different rooms. And perhaps they have to inspect the furniture on, a, on some kind of weekly basis. So there's already data. It turns out human beings, business users in particular, are excellent at modeling the data that corresponds to their business. This is why relational databases exist, because business data models itself well as tables. And it's also why spreadsheets exist, because people really can map that data in tabular form. One core observation is most applications, especially mobile applications, are reflections of data. Think about all the applications you have on your phone your email, your calendar, all of them are just reflections of some relatively well-structured data presented in sensible ways on the phone. So a really important aspect of most applications that face end users is the presentation of data. And it's usually just a reflection of schema. The second thing is a capture of data is based on the types of data. For example, um, if you're talking about furniture, maybe each piece of furniture has got an asset tag, it's got a name, it's got a photograph. But you know that the moment that something has a photograph, it has to be displayed visually. If you're capturing some new data, you need to use the camera. So there's things that reflect from the type. So you can get pretty far along in presenting and capturing data if you know the structure and schema of the data. So that's sort of the starting point. AppSheet is data-driven. So the person building an app points at the data that they already have. And we call it AppSheet, by the way, because it says you can even start with something as simple as a spreadsheet. You can also point to a, you know, a relational database, you can point to force.com, variety of different data sources. But let's say it was just in a spreadsheet. Simply by looking at the spreadsheet and the data in it, we reflect on that, look at this, understand the schema the platform does, and says, aha, you've got buildings, and you've got uh, rooms, and you've got furniture that sits in the room. So now I've got these three entities, and I've got the data sitting behind them in those spreadsheets. I think I can put together a reasonable application that shows the buildings and you drill into the building, shows you the rooms, you drill into the room, shows you the furniture, and you can click on a piece of furniture and capture some information about it. That happens automatically in the first minute of building an app. All the person has to do is point at the spreadsheet that they already have that data in and actually deduces the structure out of it. So this is sort of one core concept, schema and data-driven apps. The second part of it is, you, okay, that looks good. But most people want to customize applications to have custom logic in them. For example, let's say you need to actually do an inspection of a piece of furniture. Right? The first question might be, is it damaged? If it is damaged, you might then want to say, hey, okay, take a photograph of the damage. So that's sort of con some conditional logic in there. It has to be expressed somehow. Most usually, the traditional model would be write code for us. 
um, but we're a no-code platform. So how do you get people to translate this idea that they have, they want this kind of conditional logic, into something the system understands without having them go understand Swift or Objective-C or something complicated like that? The answer is, we have proof of a system where hundreds of millions of people could describe logic. And those were spreadsheets. And they described logic and spreadsheet formulas. So that's kind of what we adapted. We just say, look, adopt it. We said, well, let's use formulas as a means to describe logic. And we know people can express it that way. So they can express their conditional logic and everything else with formulas. And taking these two concepts together, we said, well, let's eliminate all of the other friction. You know, Pete, you asked about uh, getting stuff onto an iPhone. Yeah, it's got to run on an iPhone. It's got to run on Android. Traditionally, be a completely different programming language, right? It's got to work offline. Sure. Uh, it's got to get distributed, all these things. It's also got to run on the web. Um, the data has to work, you know, you've got to make sure that two people capture data. They're working offline. They synchronize at different points in time. All the data is securely stored. The platform takes care of all of that. There's no reason a person had to go write that code again and again for every single application. So platform handles all of that. What each person's really doing is just describing what's unique about their scenario, which is really the structure of the data, some presentational elements. Oh, do you want to show pictures large or small? Do you want to show an indoor map? Do you want to see a chart of your data you've been collecting? So on and so forth. A bunch, a large number of options are in presentation. And then the logic that they describe with formulas. That's it. They never, and that's all declarative high level model that AppSheet takes care of rendering on all the different devices it's got to run on. So how does, so, so you've done a great job of describing sort of what the process of the application creation process is, but, but I want to sort of double click on the publishing part of this. So it, it sounds like you've got some cloud-based stuff on the back end that's taking care of a lot of these, a lot, a lot of these details, but, but ultimately, you know, either if we take the iPhone case, I've got to be able to download something from the app store, or I've got to be able to point to a web app in my browser. So which of those paths are we talking about here? And, and what's the process for the publishing part? It's a great question. Um, it turns out there's a ton of friction in general around the publishing process. Sure there is. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm super interested in how you're tackling it. <laughs> and it also turns out that unless you, if you're building a consumer app, you care about putting that app in the app stores, primarily for discovery and almost secondarily for distribution. That's the reason people put apps in their app stores, right? Consumer apps. But business apps, for example, let's say I have an app that my team of 100 people has to work with in the furniture example that you talked about. There's no reason to put that app in the app store because it's not a random people that are gonna discover this app. It's just meant for my 100 employees, right? So uh, what you really want is a, a really lightweight mechanism where you can build the app and distribute it to them immediately. And we enable this by already having an app called AppSheet that lives in the iTunes and the, Google and the Google Play stores. So a particular app that you might build or any of our customers might build is just hosted within it. So it does not need to be individually deployed to those app stores. Does that make sense? By analogy, it does, yes. By analogy, it's like building web pages that are hosted in browsers. Every company can build their own web pages. The web pages are declarative they have relatively little code in them, but the browser has got all this infrastructure that lets web pages be rendered and run. So that's sort of the analogy here is that applications being built in AppSheet are like web pages and they're being hosted like web pages and they're being hosted inside our application host, if you wish. 
So it's um, almost like a sub-application then that's being hosted within that main AppSheet app. Yes. From a technology point of view, yes. It's a host that's hosting a web view that holds our application in it. But for most of our customers, it looks just like an application. It's got its own icon on their home screen. They click okay. the icon, it launches it. So the, the analogy to me there that that for, for a Cisco audience is going to make sense, like there there's one Cisco events app. And depending upon which Cisco event you might be at, right, if you're at Cisco Live Melbourne versus Cisco Live US, once you launch the Cisco Events app, you then select which event you're at and you get a customized view of things for that event. So it's something yeah, similar to that. So that's that's a great analogy. Our customers want a little more of their own custom branding. Sure, sure. They don't want to look like the app sheet app in which they run. They want it to look like their, you know, uh, Joe's furniture app or whatever it is. And we enable a bunch of that. So and there's some there's some magic that you have to do to to remove some of that friction. I was about to say, does that extend to the iconic the icon that appears on the phone screen? Yeah. Or, yeah. So you can get your own custom icon and you click on it and it launches your own your app and you never really realize you're running in a hosted thing. In fact, a few of our customers want to create what we call a white labeled experience where we get them a package that they can go deploy in, in a, say, an enterprise app store or even a public app store. But that turns out to be not where our customers are dragging us. Yeah. Most of our customers really like the flexibility that comes with a really lightweight deployment system because they can make a change to their application and it's immediately accessible by all, its, all their users. Occasionally, there's a customer who says, I would like to have you to spit out a package that I can then go deploy in either the public app stores or I can deploy through an enterprise app store. All right. For those customers, we have that capability, but it just turns out to be the exception rather than the rule. Okay. Well, so you've, you've done a nice job of drawing this distinction between the kinds of applications that your customers build versus what most people might see in the app store. And, and really, the app store stuff you're saying is really consumer, you use it for discovery, but in, in this case, they're business applications that, that you just need a simple distribution model and it's people that already know about these applications. So how does the billing then work differently for that? I mean, most consumer-based applications, most of them are free now, right? And have like in-app purchases and that's how they're they're making money. But what what's what's the, the app sheet business model look like? Great, yeah. There's actually three classes of applications. There's the consumer ones. There's off-the-shelf business solutions, right? For example, you could buy a Salesforce and it has a mobile app that comes with it, right? And then there's custom solutions. So we're in the space of enabling custom solutions. So for all these business solutions, whether customer off the shelf, the typical business model and pricing model is about the users. So um, if you are enabling 200 employees at your company to be more productive because you build applications for them, uh, we have a licensing model around you purchase 200 end user licenses. Um, and so depending on the number of users you have every, every month, that's what you pay. Now we are a freemium platform and a self-service platform. It's really important for us that everybody from a tiny small business all the way to a large company can use this. So it's a freemium platform. You always start for free and prototypes are always free. It's not like no 30 day trial or anything else because you take the time you need to justify to yourself that the application you built is useful and you can try it out with some people. All right. Um, when you start using it for real in your company, the self-service user can simply put this on a credit card and purchase. Let's say they've got five people they want to use this with five licenses. 
And the price point to start is $5 per end user per month or 10 per end user per month. And that just depends. There's a feature separation between the two. And almost everybody starts there. They just put it in a credit card, didn't need a lot of budget approval or anything else. What happens is if the, if the application starts to get traction and it needs scale, they got to move it to a relational database and they want to have better monitoring and management, then you got to start running the company on it. Then we start offering business subscriptions where you pay for a business platform. It gets you greater, you know, a greater scale, greater performance, and so on and so forth, better management. And then the higher end customers have greater needs. For example, they want governance, they want team collaboration, they may want deeper analytics and so on. And so these are extras that the larger, uh, when companies start betting their operations on, on the apps they built, then we have those capabilities. Now, one really interesting thing is that Traditionally, your cost as a business maps to the number of apps you build, because every time you have to build an app, you've got to hire developers, there's 200,000 bucks for an app. But that's crazy. It, um, it really, it's pretty crazy because um, one in 10 apps may succeed. You want to have ideas, you want to have ideas proliferate and be tried. So our pricing model is much more like something like a productivity suite like Microsoft Office. You don't pay per document that you create, you pay for the ability to create documents. Yeah. And then you create as many of them as you want. And so that's a model in AppSheet is uh, people in your company, you purchase licenses for them and you build as many apps as you want for those people. And you try to automate everything you can for them. That's cool. Mm. That is really cool. I like that. And so naturally, then when you have an app that's a winner, right? Out of you saying maybe one in 10 is a winner. You have one that's a winner that they really do want to start. Then it makes sense to spend money on it, to invest, to go for the higher levels of the platform, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And until then, you shouldn't have to go make this huge commitment. You should be able to experiment with your ideas. So that's that's sort of the the approach. And it's so technology-wise, it's quite widely different from, you know, Pete, you mentioned at the beginning, the traditional route of learning Objective-C and going down that path. Deployment-wise, it's very different. But also, a business, uh, there's our business model, but really the thing that matters is the business model for our customers are different because they don't have to get budget and approval and all this stuff up front. That's typically a hierarchical process. You really, actually, it's the other way around. You decide to pay for something once you know it's useful. Well, let me let me ask you one other angle of this. So in in one extreme, this is fulfilling a need being able to build niche apps that otherwise you couldn't afford to build. Mm -hmm. In another extreme, this is coming for developer jobs, right? (laughs) Because like if you no longer need to know how to write code in order to build an application, why would you ever pay someone to write code to build an application? So the truth is probably somewhere in between. But but talk me through where where you see this technology and others like it sort of playing in that space? Um, that's a very fair question. When we started, we focused on mobile apps because there was an obvious hole. Um, uh, everybody had a phone. It turns out people can, everybody can imagine the apps they want on their phone. And it was imp- incredibly difficult to build apps for a phone. So there was this obvious gap. What's happened is our customers have dragged us from the mobile app, which is fine. You know, let's say it was capturing, doing inspections of furniture, just staying with that analogy. But then they said, well, and I want it all saved in some central place because I want to make sure all these photographs of damage are persisted over time. So there's some storage. But then I said, well, if there was damage, I want to make sure the manager is informed about it. So they, you started to get some kind of workflow rules and some templated documents that I get sent. Then so well, but I want to see a daily report every day that shows all the damaged furniture. 
So you started to get reporting, you started to get analytics, you started to get machine learning, you started to get ETL. And we recognized about three years ago that really what people need, if you're enabling this different class of people to build applications, you need an end-to-end platform. And it's going to solve all the needs for this audience in terms of all the applications they want to build and all parts of them, not just the mobile part of it. So the interesting thing about that is, yes, we talk quite a bit here about mobile and iPhone and all that. It's sort of easy to absorb, but there's a mid-tier component in workflows. And, you know, we talk about serverless functions in cloud computing. The analogy, identical analogy exists for no code as well, where people can actually say, hey, here based on my data is a tax computation or an ability to generate an invoice. And these are all buildable without the mobile piece. Uh, This year we're rolling on machine learning. So I bring this up because what we're really doing is we're saying 80% of business applications in the world can be built without a single line of code. And uh, as we cover more and more of that horizontal surface, that's really going to be true. Um, 80% of app, and pick this number 80%, not provably, but just giving you a sense of the scale. Now, does this mean it puts developers out of business? No, actually the root problem here is there weren't enough the software engineers in the world anyway. <laughs> but what it will mean is that software engineers, the good software engineers, will focus more on building platforms that most people consume rather than building applications. My analogy would be, uh, observe what's happened with hardware. There's relatively few people building hardware and a lot of people leverage the hardware to build software about it. The same thing has happened to certain layers of the software stack, for example, operating system. Very few people build operating systems. A lot of people use them. So it's a natural progression to have platforms, even software layers and layers and layers that start getting enabling folks above them and pulling out the commonality. And that's really what we're doing here is we're identifying this commonality between all this code that all these different people are writing and saying, hey, you don't need all that code. All that stuff can be in the platform. Here's a higher level abstraction to build against. And we enable this universe of new people to build against it. Doesn't it, it may put some people I would, it wouldn't say it puts them out of business, but it really actually shifts what they focus on. And some of those people become app sheet developers because they're building on right. top of the app sheet abstraction. And some of them go focus on lower level, more involved things. That's fine. I like the operating system analogy because that, 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 builds, that builds on top of an abstraction in a way I think most people can relate to. Do you, do you find, an, and this will be my last question, I think. Do you find that, that there's... An, no code does not necessarily imply no skill in abstract thought, right? I mean, this is still software. It's still like, you know, the 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 stereotype is like somebody who was good at Legos or Minecraft or, you know, thinking about things in abstract terms to be able to put together, you know, this field of data should appear in this table on a UI and so are are you finding yet that that there's still like maybe it's not a person with a specific like university or certification level skill set, but a certain kind of thinker does well with this? Yes. Let me preface the answer by saying we're in a sort of a transition stage in this transition stage, because this is the first generation of no code platforms. The people who succeeded it have two traits. They're either trained to be somewhat data savvy or they're a little fearless around technology and willing to learn it. But eventually our requirement Ah. of them at the moment is that you can wrap your heads around 
eventually you understand that you're modeling your the universe you live in you're modeling that in data <laughs> so yeah. you're modeling the concepts that you have and that's what you're working with and they have to be somewhat willing to understand how to write a formula and so on so there's some people who can do this it's it's still not fun right? it still requires some commitment and learning and so on all right so that's sort of um and people who have that skill and sometimes they have an IT background or they have done it sometime in their past and sometimes not. It's really interesting to hear our customers' stories and their backgrounds because there's people with zero experience as well, but they just had the innate ability to pick up these concepts. This is where we are today. But for sure, five years from now, that's not where we're going to be. And let me explain why. There's a reason we have firmly no code. We have never allowed hooks that somebody can go in and write some procedural code, write some scripts. Some other platforms do that. We refuse to do that. It's a very tempting thing, I have to tell you as an engineer, when a customer says, oh, but your platform cannot do this, it's so tempting to say, let me give you a hook and you can write that code yourself, um, right? Because maybe we'll land that customer, but we refuse to do this. And here's why. Um, every single application built on AppSheet, and there's been more than 200,000 of them, right? it's completely declarative. In other words, the platform understands everything that's there because the platform is the one rendering it and, and executing it, right? There's nothing in there that's opaque. Some sequence of instructions that we don't know what it's meant to do. We actually, the platform understands what everything was meant to do. It's so high level and abstract. But now there's this corpus of applications that the platform has and the platform can learn from. And so now what we're starting to do is have the system be able to say, aha, uh, Joe, you're trying to build an application for your furniture business, but we've seen a hundred of those before. Do you have a concept of like buildings and rooms and furniture? Right. Oh, I think we know what a room has. A room has some dimensions and it may have, you know, and so on. So you see what I mean? We start yeah. to be able to say there's commonalities between things and short circuit the process of creation. In fact, we have an, uh, we have an early version of a system that's live right now on AppSheet.com that lets you describe your app in English. And it builds something for you, which is pretty close to what you might want. So you can just say, hey, I want an app that lets me inspect furniture in buildings, uh, furniture in, in my rooms. And boom, it's going to spit out an app that lets you inspect furniture in rooms. And it might suggest to you, hey, do you want to take photographs? And so on and so forth. So that ability is just on the horizon. Uh, and it's a short term horizon. So if, you were to, if we were to talk a couple of years from now, you might be saying, hey, this be, people are building apps by describing them in English, not just by describing them in data. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild. Terrifying. but <laughs> <laughs> It's empowering. That is wild. I, I, I tell people, you know, uh, at least I'm in this age group where I remember the time when we could all watch movies, but nobody could create movies. Only Hollywood could create movies. And we yeah. could watch them. Huh? And, and then we went through this transition phase where, hey, there were handheld camcorders and you had some editing software. And if you were a good cameraman, camera person, you could basically say, hey, um, if I got, I could probably create something that was reasonable. But yeah. now we're in a phase where, wow, anybody can create a good, you know, it can take capture video, a movie of any length, and they can edit it wonderfully and distribute it through YouTube. And now you've got, you still have the folks creating the Hollywood movies, they got the full spectrum of creativity. That's what happened in video. Same thing's going to happen in software applications. Wow, that's exciting. That's exciting. And it's funny, we talked earlier at the beginning of this podcast about how we are a, a uh, an audio podcast now instead of video, which we used to do. Uh, in a way, I wish we were going to produce this in video so, so people could see the passion on your face <laughs> when you're talking about this. You're clearly all in on it. And I wonder, when you, when you uh, pitch this, 
to uh, businesses. Is there skepticism? Do you do you come up against skepticism where they're like, well, Bob from accounting cannot create apps. We're not gonna we're not letting that happen. No, you're. I have to tell you before. You know, I'm a software engineer. I used to teach computer science, and then I worked at Microsoft, and now I'm, I'm mainly a technical person. But before I did this uh, startup. I really didn't have a deep opportunity to engage with folks who work in other businesses, right? Beyond being a consumer of them, never really worked with them. In this, in AppSheet, we work with, you can think of any profession and any country in the world, and we have a customer in that profession somewhere. We had a restaurant owner in Iraq, in Baghdad, try to build apps for his restaurant, 120 degrees, who knows what, you know, what, what the situation was in Baghdad, but he was trying to automate something. We have firefighters, we have farmers, um, we have people from all kinds of professions. What's amazing to me is the the drive and the uh, the drive, the intelligence, the ideas that people have are working in all these businesses. They've just been stifled. So if you're able, we've been able somehow, luckily, to cast this net broad enough that the people who are, in some sense, the the innovators, the people who want to rock the boat, the people who are you know frustrated with the status quo, discover actually. And they start to try to play with it. And they say, aha, here's something that I can actually do stuff with. And while, you know, when we look at it academically, we might think, oh, this is about building apps fast. What tends to happen is the people who latch on an app sheet get obsessed. They build, they work for hours. It's typically, it's never their original job, right? Their main job may be something else, but they found it, started working nights and weekends. And what happens to them is it becomes their job. When they do the stuff, they show it in a company, they show it to their coworkers, and somebody said, that's crazy, Joe, you built that? Come on, really, did you build that? And so we get feedback from these customers saying, hey, you made me a star in my company. And the truth is, we didn't make them anything. Their ideas made them a star in the company, and we just sort of unblocked them. Um, so the places where actually gets traction is always the skeptics, but what happens is there's somebody who's a bit of a visionary, or somebody who's got an, you know, an ideator, and it lets them succeed. And once one or two of those people succeed, then you get the you get the momentum. But there's always a skeptics. There's some people whose job it is, I think, in a good way to be skeptics, for example, IT and security. It's important that they be skeptical. But we work with those guys. We have always cleared every security clearance that every security check that any company has run against us. It's really important to get that stuff right. So yeah, so it I think it's it's changing. Two years ago, there was no name for something like this. Now they're called no-code app platforms. Uh, people are writing reports about it. You know, Forrester or Gartner starts writing reports about them. It's going to become mainstream in another couple of years. And so I think the amount of skepticism will decrease if platforms like AppSheet do our jobs right and make sure that the products are good and stable and secure and performant and so on. That is fascinating. That Just fascinating. Pete, do you have any more questions? We've, we're just about out of time here. And, uh, no, I'm good. This is, this is such an interesting an interesting wave of technology. Thanks so much for sharing with us, Praveen. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, the strange thing is, none of this would be possible if without the combination of cloud and mobile. See, cloud changed where that made data accessible. Mobile made people think that, you know, they deserve good applications. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you're right. That, you're yeah. right. And you're AI, right. AI stuff is enabling uh, platforms to be smart. So this is sort of this triumvirate of key, you know, uh, shift, technology shifts that is enabling something like this. You couldn't have done this five years ago. 
Yes. And thank you, Praveen. You touched on cloud and that is absolutely, this is one of our far less, less cloudy episodes than others. But I think sometimes there's a concept or a technology out there that's just cool enough that we want to skate out along the edge of uh, our topic to, to learn about it. And so I, I think it's worth it. I think our audience will be interested in hearing this. So, so I really appreciate you sharing it with us today. Uh, I'm really excited to go check it out myself. I, I have already bookmarked the page and I'm going to go spend some time there and see what kind of cool apps I can cook up. So thank you for explaining it all today. I hope you give us some URLs that I can put in the speaker notes for people who want to go uh, check out AppSheet themselves. That would be great. Can you tell us right now where they should go? Yeah, it's just www.appsheet.com. App sheet apps from spreadsheets to give it to appsheet.com and give it a try and i really appreciate the time ali and pete you know it was great talking with both of you all right yeah, thanks okay. so much talk to you guys later bye-bye bye, -bye. Bye.